0: Welcome back to My Millennial Investor. Today, we are recapping the crazy, difficult investing year of 2022. I've been investing for more than half of my life at this point. I bought my first stock at the age of 20, and since I am on the older side of the millennial generation, that is 20 years of investing for my 40 years of life. That is why I actually call my company Oregon Trail Investor, because I grew up on floppy disk drive computers my siblings and I would sit around and we'd play this eight-bit game called Oregon Trail. It was a lot of fun. My sister always got dysentery. I always tried to go hunt the buffalo. And I always crashed because I got a little too greedy trying to cross the river. Anyway, we would play this game. It's based on the people taking a wagon trail from the Midwest of the United States out to Oregon and Washington and California in the early days of American settling. Anyway, I'm old enough to have called my first girlfriend on a phone connected to the wall with a really long cord. It reached all the way to my bedroom, 15 feet away. So that means I'm also old enough to have been investing in years like 2022, in the downturns in 2008, in the bad market of early 2000s. Sometimes that stuff isn't a lot of fun. The ups and downs in markets are expected, but they're not ever really fun. I mean, the ups are fun, but the downs aren't really that great at the time. And that's what we are recapping on today's show, the not so fun year of 2022. And you're listening to My Millennial Investor, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. Let's get into it. Let's start with a fun fact. Fun fact time. Did you know that a study was conducted in 2013 that found 56% of pilots have fallen asleep while flying a plane? And 29% of those pilots had woken up to also find their co-pilot asleep. Yikes. That was today's fun fact. Okay, so we know that in 2022, it was not a good year for stocks. After a banner year in 2021, which the S&P 500 ETF SPY, S-P-Y, it's put out by Spider that produced a positive total return, which is price appreciation and dividends of 29% in 2021. Everything started to fall apart real early in 2022. Supply chain problems from COVID, rising inflation, war with Ukraine, rising interest rates, all of these things drove the SPY to a negative total return of 18% in 2022. And I've seen different facts. I think that is the right one. I've seen negative 22% when you look at different things. I've seen 18%. I've seen 20 So if I just round to negative 20, just give me some grace. Anyway, stock prices were hit by declining valuation multiples, which we've talked about before. And companies are lowering their guidance, which means on their earnings calls, companies are like, look, do not expect much from us in 2023 Earnings aren't going to be great, and don't expect us to just knock things out of the park. We're trying to get ourselves into survival mode here. Well, growth led the market in 2021, and boy, did it get hit in 2022. The NASDAQ, which is full of tech and growth stocks. You've heard me talk about uh, ticker symbol QQQ. I really like QQQ. It's, I think it is a good uh, index, but it has just gotten crushed. And the QQQ tracks the NASDAQ 100 Well, it declined 33% when you include dividends in 2022. I'm not even going to say, I'm not going to keep saying 2022. All of this is 2022. We we clear with that? All right. Similarly, the iShares Core US Growth ETF, which is ticker symbol IUSG, was down 29% when you included dividends. The frothiest stocks in 2021 were SPACs. A SPAC, if you do not know, is a special purpose acquisition company. Well, they were all the rave in 2021. I'm, I'm thinking about doing a special episode talking about SPACs because it was such an anomaly. It was this crazy thing. It's, it, a SPAC is a way to bring a private company to the market to be able to purchase a stock without going through the difficult process of an IPO or initial public offering. So a SPAC company is just designed, it builds a whole lot of money. And then that company with all the money buys a private company or at least part of a private company, and then brings that company to market. One of the SPACs I was involved with last year purchased electric vehicle company Lucid, and then now that stock turns from whatever it was before into Lucid stock, and then now you are a partial owner of an electric vehicle company. So that was one particular example in 2021. Anyway, SPACs just got crushed. Aggressive growth stocks, typically which were SPAC involved, just got beat down. There's a SPAC ETF, ticker symbol DSPC, was down 75%. Kathy Woods, we've talked about her before. She is the um, brainchild behind ARK Innovation ETF, ticker symbol ARKK. And she invests in a lot of growth-heavy and tech-heavy stocks. And she was the ARK fund. ARKK was down 68%, even after including dividends. And then there's our friend Bitcoin. Bitcoin was down only 65%. And really, when you look at some of the tech stocks, you're like, hey, Bitcoin held its own. Is now a time to buy Bitcoin? Probably not. When you look at the monthly chart of Bitcoin, using technical analysis, it seems that Bitcoin has a future. And that future is going to fall from the current $16,000 price down to at least 14000 It's guaranteed. You're getting a Nick rather guarantee here early in the year that Bitcoin will touch this year, and I think pretty shortly. And literally, when you look at the chart, $6,000 per Bitcoin is a mathematical possibility, even though it's unlikely. Either way, if you're a Bitcoin holder or if you're looking to possibly get into Bitcoin, there is still some room for falling and the bleeding is not over yet. So sit tight, keep your money on the sidelines. I do not recommend them. Officially, let's just be clear, I'm not recommending anything, but if it was my money, I am just watching the demise or the quick fall or the falling knife of Bitcoin, and I am not getting anywhere close to it right now. Okay, let's move on. Bonds. Bonds are supposed to be, and classically have been a safe haven from stocks. And guess what? They totally failed in 2022. Bonds were hit by rising inflation and rising interest rates and performed even worse than many stocks. The iShares 20-year Treasury Bond ETF, which is ticker symbol TLT, was down 31%. A bond being down 31% is an anomaly. That is like, yikes. You don't see that much. And when you do, you know there's something crazy going on in the market. 2022 was a terrible year for the classic 60-40 portfolio. 60-40 portfolio is a diversified portfolio of 60% equities and 40% bonds. It's kind of been the go-to diversified model for many, 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 many years. And if you used the, you, you can actually build this portfolio just using two total market funds. And you can use them from any company, but I did some research and I looked at Vanguard. Vanguard has a total bond fund, ticker symbol BND, in the Vanguard Total Stock Fund, VTI. If you had done the total bond fund and the total stock fund, 60-40%, in reverse, I guess, so 40-60 in this particular instance, you would be down 16.77% last year. 2022 was just one of those years. It was the third worst year on record for the 60-40 portfolio. The only two worst years were 1937, which had a huge market crash, in 1931, which kicked off the Great Depression. Yikes. Dividend stocks were a mixed picture. If you know anything uh, about this channel, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm a fan of dividend stocks, and high dividend stocks avoided a lot of the carnage. Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF, ticker symbol VYM, had a negative total return in 2022 of only 0.3%. You're like, hey, negative's negative, but 0.3, that's basically break even, not too shabby when you're looking at a typical market down of 20. However, dividend growth stocks measured by the iShares Core Dividend Growth ETF, ticker symbol DGRO, had a negative return of 8%. So not not as bad as the regular market, but also not break even. The ProShares S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, that's a mouthful, ticker symbol NOBL, had a negative total return of 6%. And Dividend Aristocrat is a, a stock that has proven itself year over year over year to continually not just provide a dividend for their shareholders, but also grow their dividend for shareholders. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode as well. A surprise to many investors, real estate just tanked. No bueno. REITs were hit by rising interest rates and lower office occupancy. Many workers started working from home during COVID and then never really came back. The Vanguard real estate ETF, VNQ, which I have historically liked but didn't really like last year, had a negative total return of 26%, considerably worse than the S&P 500. Personally, I do have my eye on some rates, but I am a little nervous about a lot of things around real estate right now, specifically United States real estate, but I know many Western markets or developed markets have a lot of the same concerns. And my concerns right now for 2023 looking at REITs are, number one, will housing prices continue to fall and maybe even free fall as rates stay high? And two, will office space be a bubble? Now that seems nonsensical just a couple years ago, but now you've got all these huge high rises in these major metropolitan cities with people not going into the office. These companies typically do not own these buildings. They are leasing these buildings and they're leasing them from companies that own these real estate investment trusts. So if you're a huge conglomerate and you've got thousands of square feet or square meters of office space in a very expensive city, and all of a sudden everyone's working from home, do you want to re-sign that lease in a couple years? If you're going to a work-from-home or a hybrid model, maybe you give up the huge expensive lease downtown and you go for a cheaper, smaller space somewhere just outside the city. Either way, these two things could greatly impact the price of REITs so I'm kind of looking at REITs in 2023, thinking, hmm, maybe I can get a little REIT discount, a great way to add some dividend exposure. And really, I think REITs are a wise investment. But right now, I'm just a little cautious in 2023. That was a free, free tidbit for 2023. We're still focused on 2022, and we've got a lot to talk about right after this break. there were some bright spots in 2022. I know we've talked about a lot of carnage and difficulty and there has been uh, no short supply of bad stories about investing in 2022. But energy was one sector to really own if you had the foresight in 2022. I guess we all should have known this, right? Warren Buffett made a splash in early last year when he purchased, get this, 12 billion dollars of OXY stock. Oxy is a gas uh, stock here in the States. And when Warren makes a purchase of $12 billion of something, we should probably take notice and we should have followed suit. Uh, Disclosure, I did follow suit after he filed his quarterly and he has to, every time he makes a purchase at once a quarter, he has to tell the world what he's done. All hedge funds and managers have to do that. So when I saw that he had purchased $12 billion of oxy, I purchased some shares of Oxy. Well, Oxy ended 2022 up 117%. I only ended up 17%. I missed the 100% move, but I guess Warren got in early and I got in late. Regardless, Oxy energy sector was a great return in 2022. If you wanted to look at the energy sector as a whole, there's an energy sector ETF XLE, and it had a price appreciation of 52% last year. When you include dividends, it was up by 65%. Yowza. All right, so 2022. Energy was the bright spot. Everything else was the dark spot. There was one thing that caught my attention all last year, and people that I follow on Twitter and some different uh, financial people that I follow in different areas were making a lot of comparisons of 2022 and 2008. And looking at these comparisons, it doesn't necessarily shine a great light on 2023. So let's take a little bit of time and let's talk about these connections, these correlations, I guess, and see if there's a lesson for us. Maybe there is some forecasting that we can look at for 2023. One of the things looking at was when you look at a stock chart of the S&P 500 in 2022, and then you overlay the stock behavior of 2008, they like literally look like identical twins. Like they were correlated so closely they were tracking so closely that it looks like it was almost the exact same year. Looking at the weekly chart of the S&P 500 uh using again SPY, SPY, the ETF, we can ascertain some similarities between the actual chart of the S&P 500 situation that happened and led to the eventual crash in 2008. And when you look at what's going on in 2008, it, it wasn't really uh it wasn't good. The S&P 500 was testing the 200-day Exponential moving average, the 200-day EMA, which I've talked about before, as typically a, a good buying opportunity. Anytime a, a stock or a blue chip stock or an index that you like falls down and touches the 200 EMA or the 200 SMA sometimes, the simple moving average, historically that is a good time to make a larger purchase outside of just your dollar cost averaging. But in 2008, the S&P 500 came down and tested the 200 EMA, and the 200 EMA got tested again. In 2008, and then the stock market fell down and then tested the 200 AMA for the third time. And this hints at what's known as a triple bottom. It's a situation that is notoriously a recipe for disaster. A triple bottom is when a stock price goes up and down and up and down and coming back down to that same point where it looks like an M on the chart. Triple bottoms are not good if you want to purchase a stock. Or if you actually, it's good if you're going to purchase. It's bad if you're already in the stock. Is typically triple bottoms lead to more volatility and more selling pressure and more falling of the stock. And in 2008, the index was suffering major distribution. Like every single week, there was increasingly high selling pressure every time it was coming down and touching the 200 day EMA. The relative strength index was also sharply declining and momentum was increasingly negative. Does that sound like anything you experienced last year? It seems like every single week you opened up your portfolio. And you're like, seriously, down again? OK, maybe next year. OK, or maybe next week. Seriously, down again? Seriously, down again? And there were some, some longer green bear market rallies. But for the most part, 2022, we had a um, stock market that would come down to the EMA and then fall. It would come down to the EMA and then fall. And then come down to the EMA and fall. Well, in 2008, the S&P 500 dropped under the 200-day EMA, which we are currently at as well in 2023 here. And then it crashed 50%. It took the index 574 days to get back up to the 200-day moving average again. 840 days to consistently keep the price over that 200-day EMA. And as the index recovered and broke, 32 months later, it broke even. And what is the lesson here? Maybe don't be too eager to make large purchases all at once here in early 2023. Keep dollar cost averaging and perhaps... Expect a big fall like we saw in 2008 because things are going to continue to be frothy. And right now, if things continue to match the chart of 2008, we can expect a large fall in the stock market in 2023. As we close, I want to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of my personal investing decisions in 2022. This is not advice. This is here's where I did one good thing, and then here's some bad stuff that I did. of 2022. Let's start with the good. I started a side portfolio, completely new account with different money. So I'm not getting my long-term investments mixed up with kind of my uh, short-term 2022 musings. So I was doing something called the wheel strategy. And a wheel strategy is when you start your investing with a cash secured put. And I've done an episode on cash secured puts before. A cash secured put is a way to get paid to own the stock if the stock falls to your set price that you've negotiated. I did a whole episode in December in 2022. It's titled, How to Make Money in Any Market. If you want to learn about cash-secured puts, after this is over, go click on that one. Anyway, so I would sell a cash-secured put using a delta, which is a risk level of 0.10 or less to make it even less risky, that I would be assigned to that stock. Typically, I would not be assigned, and at the end of that week, I would sell from Friday to Friday. I would collect a premium and then I would sell another cash secured put contract for the next week to collect more premium. And this side portfolio of mine ended up being positive 12.6% in 2022, which I was pretty happy with because this was the first year that I'd truly committed myself to doing the cash secured puts on the first side. And then if I got to sign the stock, I would do a covered call on the other side. And that's what does the full wheel strategy. So, considering the S&P 500 was down 20% and that particular side portfolio of mine was up almost 13%, I would say that was pretty good and a pat on the back deserved for myself. Okay, now the bad. Early in the year, I was committed for some dumb reason to buy 100 shares of the S&P 500, using the ETF SPY, SPY, on the very first trading day of the year. For some reason, I thought it would be fun to see what happened to the whole thing, I I was still hopeful that it was going to be going up and to the right. I didn't really do any research. I didn't look at a chart. I didn't do any technical analysis. I didn't even dollar cost average. I just bought the shares of the S&P 500. I went all in 100 shares. And while you know the rest of the story, (laughs) that investment is down 20%. Or if I had just dollar cost averaged, which we talk about a lot, which I always think is the best way for every investor to get started and should be continuing to do with your investing money. Dollar cost averaging, had I done that over the year, the exact same amount of money that I ended up putting into the S&P 500, I would be up $8,000 compared to where I'm at now. And let me be clear, I wouldn't be positive $8,000, but I would have had an $8,000 benefit because by dollar cost averaging, let's say I put in the same amount of money on the beginning of the day of each month, instead of just putting all $48,000 on January 3rd, had I divided that $48,000 over the year in dollar cost average on the first of each month, instead of 100 shares, I would actually own 117 shares. And instead of being down negative 20%, I would only be down negative 13%. And I would have 17 extra shares. So make a plan stick to that plan, and hopefully have dollar-cost averaging as a part of that plan. All right, now the ugly, as we finish up. I bought too many electric vehicle stocks in 2022. I lost money on Neo, I lost money on Tesla, and I lost money on Rivian. I made money, as I talked about earlier with that one SPAC acquisition that ended up purchasing Lucid electric vehicle company. I did that early in the year and I got cocky and I thought everyone's gonna go green, EVs and hydrogen and maybe some other future technology is the future of cars. Petroleum cars are going to the wayside and everyone's going to be buying electric. And that type of overconfidence leads to negative results. And I lost thousands of dollars that I really did not want to lose last year. So buying too many electrical vehicle stocks was my 2022 ugly. And that, my friends, is a lesson to learn. That's also our show for the day the 2022 recap. Remember, although the S&P 500 may historically average 10% per year, it rarely actually does 10%. Normally, it's up 25, it's down 5, it's up 8, it's down 18, it's up 34 and you average 10%. So keep the big picture in mind. Investing creates wealth and wealth creates freedom. You want your money making you money and that's why we listen to the show. That's why we do the research that we do. And that's why we continue to invest. You're listening to My Millennial Investor, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams, so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is produced and published by Oregon Trail Investor in the USA. All information is for entertainment purposes only. The brand My Millennial Investor is used under license.